0: We are, today is the last day of our series on the book of James. It's entitled Finishing, or excuse me, uh, Passing the Test. Passing a test is today's topic. And I'm going to be speaking directly to the graduates or for people that are in transition. you know, might be thinking, well, you're not speaking to me. You know what? You guys can get over it. Because these kids have had to sit through marriage illustrations and adult stuff for years. So you can put up with a sermon that is pointed towards a younger person for one Sunday. Amen? All right. Because it's important. And you can, even though I'm I'm, I'm gearing this to a specific audience, you can learn something from this message. Because chances are... Majority of you, this will not be the last church that you are a member of. I might not be your last pastor. Unless you die next week or something, I don't know. But, (laughs) I don't know. They're like, oh my gosh. My wife is just like, what's the matter with you? It could happen. Okay, I'll keep on going. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, My wife is still flabbergasted. We've been married for I don't know how many years, and I can still have the ability to shock her. It's great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Sleeping on the couch? Do that anyway. (laughs) Okay. So... Our graduates are graduating. They're in transition. Some of you are in transition. Heaven forbid. Some of you might move to Idaho or Texas or some. It, it happens. And truth be told, there are moments when transition to another church is appropriate. And even spirit-led. So I'm going to give our graduates and you some points on how to pass the test. How to pass the test of faith, how to continue to grow in maturity, and how to persevere under trials, how to suck it up when times get hard. Here's the amazing thing about our graduates. We had two graduates in the worship band. They were wearing their hats. Uh, they did prom last night. Yeah. They're functioning on two hours of sleep. When I went to prom, I don't think I made it to church the next day. But that is, like, guys, where are they? There they are. Dude, you guys, I'm, I'm blown away. And you worshiped in spirit and in truth, and you gave it all you got. I mean, you might have like three shots of espresso and a Red Bull in you right now, but man, thank you for bringing it, for persevering when you probably didn't want to. That is a sign of maturity. Uh, Emily was also went to prom last night, and uh, Kimberly is the mother of Emily, so she was up all night too. (laughs) So thank you guys for persevering sticking it out when you don't feel like it. So a few points on passing a test. Number one is perseverance. Back to the beginning of James chapter 1, verse 2. We started the series off with this and I think it's appropriate that we close it off with this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face Trials of many kinds. Because you know, the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. Perseverance must finish, finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Passing the test requires perseverance. Can't give up. This is not going to be up on the screen. Same idea from the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. This is the amplified version, so it's a little bit different. I like how it sounded. Test and evaluate yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and living lives as a committed believer. Take a moment. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Stop examining your leaders. Interesting. Or do you not recognize this about yourself? How is your experience? Is Jesus in you? Is that your experience? Jesus. Should be inside of you unless you fail the test and are rejected as a counterfeit. So let's not be counterfeit Christians. Let's be the real deal. And that requires self-examination and self-reflection. Are you living as a committed believer? That requires perseverance, not giving up when things get hard. Number two for all of you graduates is that there is a key to winning for passing this test test called faith. You're in transition. There's going to be others of you that are in transition. It will happen. It happens to many of us. Some it doesn't happen to. The transition in order to pass the test is that you need to begin to develop and to make your faith your own. You are the number one person responsible for your own faith. I'm not. It's probably a good thing that I'm not responsible for your faith. But there are a myriad of Christians who think that way. Their life falls apart, their faith it goes into shambles and is scattered and shattered, and they blame those that are in authority over them. It's the pastor's fault as to why their life fell apart. No, dude, it, it's it's no one's fault but our own. We take responsibility for our own faith walks. For those of you that are in transition, that are you're moving you're moving up, you're maturing. Think times are different. Times are strange. I would not want to be a young person right now. Like, that would be, I mean, it's it's hard enough being an old person. I can't imagine right now trying to be a young person. In biblical times, you guys are going to like this. In biblical times, I would arrange your marriage. (laughs) In biblical times, I would arrange your marriage. And these kids that were up here leading worship, Uh, We would kick them out of the house and they would get married. That young. Just boot them right out. The Bible calls it leaving and cleaving. You leave your home and you you cleave to your spouse and you start your life that way. That was the cultural context. Our cultural context is very different these days. I'm going to address it. Because people are getting married much later. They're starting their careers before they start their families. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I don't have time to get into that. But that's the reality of where we are at as a culture. And you might not have the financial means to leave the covering of your parents' home. But you've got to leave spiritually. You have to make your faith your own. This is going to be a struggle. I don't know how you're going to do it. You need you're going to need counsel. You're going to need pastors around you. You're going to need a community of faith to help you walk through this, because it is the dynamics are different than it was for when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I I left my house, didn't have much choice, went off to college and. It was hard and I was scared, I was insecure, I didn't know who was going to do my laundry, I don't know where my food was going to come from. I, I was like freaking out on the inside. But something else happened to me spiritually that was way scarier than getting kicked out and doing my own laundry. There was a spiritual dimension. I had to move myself into a state of faith where I, where I was forced to to make my faith my own. And when I came out from underneath my parents' spiritual covering, it was scary. I felt, I felt alone. I felt that my prayers were not being heard. I felt like I, I couldn't hear God's voice anymore. I even questioned if there was a God in those times. But God is so good. He is so faithful. He he knew exactly what I needed when I needed it, even though I felt like that God wasn't there. He never left me. He never forsaked me. I just thought that he did. No, but he was there and he showed up in ways that I didn't expect. He brought people into my lives that I needed. He brought me around faith, a faith community, a discipleship group that helped me walk my faith out went to different churches, experienced the different denominations, made my faith my own. So whether you're at home or whether mom and dad kick you out, you need to begin to develop and to make your faith your own faith. And When you get scared, it's okay. I have the privilege of having an awesome father. Godly man, I grew up in a godly home. Like, I realized and realized how blessed I I am to have parents like I do. There is a tendency for people that are like me that grew up in faith, there's a tendency to draft off of your parents' breakthroughs or to leech off of their prayer life. And so when you step out of that blessing, you begin to do the hard work of making your faith your own, those blessings and that prayer life will be developed and strengthened. If you're like me, you had a good father, a good raise, you know, raised well, uh-oh. <laughs> it is a bit of a struggle, but you can do it. This is what I had to learn. I had to learn that, yeah, I had a great dad, But I have a heavenly father that meets all of my needs. It was in those dark moments where I couldn't rely on the comfort of my parents. The Lord was training me to rely on my heavenly father alone. Father of lights. So when you find yourself scared and alone, wondering where God's voice is in dark shadows, turn to the book of James. Read James chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Like you might be going to college, you might be entering into the workforce, you might be doing good things, you might be making a positive impact on your life, But the biblical truth is that all good and perfect things come from above. You guys don't make them. God gives them. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change. He does not change. He is always good. He is always consistent. He is always for you. His promises are never-ending always steady it does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that's your bible guys through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits in all of his creation like you guys might get lucky and score a good job but if you want to be blessed you need to be blessed by the Father of lights. That is where true fulfillment and happiness comes from. Make your faith your own. Second point, Third point. Excuse me. Stay connected. Stay, stay connected to the church, to the body of Christ. Stay connected at Granite Creek. But in your own personal journeys, you might be pushed out of here. And that might be a good thing. I know this is things that pastors should not say. I'm I'm supposed to encourage people to come to our church. I love you and I want you to be coming to our church. But I want your best, not my attendance. And sometimes your own spiritual growth when you come out from underneath your parents' spiritual covering, sometimes that means, if you can't get out of the house, sometimes that means that maybe you need to find another faith community, a discipleship group of, of believers that are going after God, and you begin to work things out inside of your own context. Regardless, I don't know, maybe you will move to Texas or Idaho or something like that. It is you have to promise me this, that you'll stay connected to the body of Christ, that you won't let a pandemic disconnect you from fellowship, that you won't let the changes of life and jobs and careers and boyfriends and girlfriends and craziness to disconnect you from fellowship, true fellowship, of of connecting and praying for one another and confessing your sins, worshiping Maybe in a congregation like this, but maybe you're just worshiping in a home. Stay connected, you guys. Don't ever give up on this. If you're going to persevere in anything, persevere in staying connected to the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is what the Bible calls the church. The church is the pure and spotless bride. Now, Those are Jesus's optics when he sees his church. He sees his church as beautiful, as pure, as something to fall in love with. Now, when you and I use our optics to see the church, we see something very different usually. We see hypocrisy and all the, you know, judgmental Christians, all this negative stuff. But Jesus doesn't see that that way. So if you want to be loved by Jesus, be a part of the bride of Christ. And you'll be blessed beyond anything that you can possibly imagine when you stay connected. So what do you look for? Let's just say you're not with Granite Creek. So what do you look for when you enter into a church? Sub points. You gotta find a church that prays. Like like we did for you, we took some time some time for my amazing sermon so that we could pray, right? Because we need to value prayer. Because Jesus gives us the commandment. He gives us the, the archetype of what church should be. Church should be the house of the Lord, which is a house of prayer church family if there's anything that I think that we need to focus on more as a body of believers is more prayer i'll probably be calling more prayer meetings in the coming year which will probably be by attended by the usual suspects let's pray like let's pray everybody if you don't know how to pray we'll teach you to pray but true communication that relate that personal relationship with the lord comes through in prayer. So the church has to be a house of prayer. Not a commercial center. You know it when you feel it. The mark of a praying church is an atmosphere of peace. We have been praying during this whole pandemic and all the political craziness and all the division. We have been praying for the bond of peace to seal our hearts in our leadership. I'm going to brag on our leadership just for a moment because we weathered this thing fairly well. Like, it, you know, it's distracted us. It's got us out of our rhythms and our routines. And yeah, it hasn't been the best for church. But we did really, really well, my brothers and sisters. Why? It's because we've bathed this place for decades in prayer. And it sticks to the walls,
1: changes the atmosphere. And so
0: when you walk into a church, you need to sense and feel the bond of peace in the building and on the people. There needs to be a calm and a rest and a peace. We're here on Sabbath. God's blessing on Sabbath. His blessing is the blessing of peace. So that's your telltale sign that you're in a praying church. You feel the presence of peace there, amen. If you walk into a church environment, in the environment, in the the air is tense. Like the church can be packed out, but there's an anxiety. There's an anger. There's a fear in the congregation. The congregation is being motivated by fear and manipulation. If you feel anxiety and not peace in the building, that's your sign. Doesn't matter how successful they are, doesn't matter how full they are. The fruit of the, of the Spirit, one of them, is peace. You've got to find peace in your next congregation, in your next church. I have, all right, I'm gonna share this. I have a pastor friend of mine who took a different path than we did with the whole masking situation. We've been very careful and conservative from day one, which is not my nature and is not my character, by the way. I'm a little punk, I'm a little rebel at times. My pastor friends thought that I was going to be leading the charge in civil disobedience and rebellion towards the government. They honestly did. I honestly wanted to. But I'm submitted to what the Holy Spirit says and how the Holy Spirit is leading. And I sought godly counsel. And I asked for advice. And I act, like one time during this whole thing, I said, okay, Lord says, you need to call this person. And I I don't want to call that person Lord. So you need to call this person. You need to do what they say. Let's be obedient to what I believe God was calling us to do. I have a friend who took the opposite way, that took the civil disobedience route. His church grew six times, Quadru- grew by six times, went from 100 people to 600 people. That's some really cool church growth, right? And then he confessed to me. He said, "I wish we would have done the thing. I wish we would have done this the way that you did it." I'm like, "Why is that?" Because your church is awesome right now; it's full of people. You've got great offerings. And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I also have 600 angry people that I've leached off of other churches." And when they find out that I'm a registered Democrat, it's over. So anyway, I just think we're doing the best we can. The the telltale sign of a praying church is there's peace in the atmosphere. Not control, not manipulation, not fear, not anger. God's a God of love. God is love. Third sub point is that any church that you go into, that you become a part of, a member of, invest in, if they're not serving the poor, they're not worth their salt. James chapter 3 says this. Excuse me. James chapter 1, verse 26. says this. If anyone considers himself religious... I don't have time to push on that word today. But if anyone considers themselves part of a faith, religious, spiritual, churchgoer, you fill in the rest. If anyone considers himself, herself, religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his or her tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless goes back to the the sign of peace. So if you find yourself in a church community where everybody's running their mouth and they have no control over what they say, if they don't have the emotional intelligence to filter the words coming out of their mouth, well, it says that their religion is worthless. Ah, ouch, right? Religion that God, our Father, Father of lights, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So let's start backwards first. This is tricky stuff because we're actually in the world. We try not to be of the world. The world has this incredible way of polluting us to changing the way that we think changing the way that we live our lives, uh, the, the world systems affects the church systems in, in ways that we don't recognize until it's usually is too late. So you need to you know, pick a church that is not in the world, excuse me, that is not of the world, but is in the world. And the marker of that is a church that is concerned about the poor and the disenfranchised. Like Jesus is all over this one, everybody. There's no way of getting around it. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is here to take care of the poor. And a church that doesn't do that or doesn't have that in their priority list, well, is not really a church. It might be a social club, it might be a gathering of some sorts. But man, a church should have a missions organization where they put their money where their mouth is. Ours is kid care. We financially support it. Your tithes financially support it. That's the ministry my dad runs. It is an incredible group of people whose number one goal is to come together and think about how we can best use the resources God has given us to serve the poor. We do it every Saturday morning at the food bank. We, we, you, feed hundreds of people every single Saturday. Thank you for your tithes and offerings in those areas. And again, there is a group of people. The Robles, the Sconyers, Regan Schmaltz is the now CEO of Sick Kid Care. uh, Bev Davis and other people that are on the Kid Care Board, they're coming together to think about, okay, God's given us these blessings. How can we serve the poor? It's vital. It's crucial. It has to happen. Find a church that's dedicated to the poor. They've got to have a good, strong missions organization. Again, it will fall into the category of a social club, if they are not giving away, if they're so myopic, if they're if they're so self-centered on us becoming awesome. Likewise, as an individual, James really goes after the individual, doesn't he? If you remember, in James's world, his world is falling apart politically. We thought we think we have problems politically. We think we're being persecuted. The leader of the church, Jesus' own brother, they're chopping heads off. They're persecuting people right or left. The most evil regime the world has ever seen the Roman Empire. What's he going after? He's speaking to the individual heart. Interesting, isn't it? He's like, no, no, you need to take care of yourselves. Wash your own hands, you sinners, and purify your own hearts, you double-minded. Okay, don't worry about all the static that's going on in the world. You worry about the static that's taking place in your heart. Pull your own weeds. Take your own responsibility for your actions. This is a section of James during the series, and the series that we haven't addressed. But this is very important too. Final subpoint. Yeah, maybe not, but we'll see. When you walk into a church, or even when you drive into the parking lot, keep an eye out for favoritism. Favoritism. Really? Like, I mean, there's a reason why we haven't preached on this is because I don't believe that it necessarily exists in Granite Creek but it does exist in other churches. This is what it looks like. When I drive onto our campus, I feel the peace of God and I pray for the peace of God. Sounds kind of weird, new agey, but I visualize the peace of God hovering over the building and over the campus. Then I find a parking spot. I don't have a designated parking spot with my name on it. Other churches do. I personally have a problem with that. Now, the other side of the coin is, maybe a church that has the, you know, pastor or so-and-so's parking only sign on it. Again, I don't want to be all judgy, but, like, again, i like, okay, why, why are they doing that? Now, it could be because their church needs to learn how to honor and respect their pastor. That is a thing, by the way. Big giant study right now on church abuse, yeah? You've seen these things? of, Of, you know, evil church systems and, you know, abusive pastors and stuff. And it's making the news. What's not making the news is that pastors are equally abused by their own congregation with sheep with teeth and their elders and other leaders. We're not, but... Trust me, it takes place. So maybe that could say, okay, we need to learn how to honor the role and the position in the office of pastor. And they, they need that, so I, I'll, I'll get that. But many a time, it is to say, we're putting our pastor on a pedestal instead of Jesus. Amen? And, and, you, and you see it, you'll see it when you walk in And if there is a special group of people that are sitting in the front or they get more attention by the pastor than others, then you see it. James addresses this in chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, He's a, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man you say, you stand over here or you sit at my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Ouch. Not necessarily a part of our church culture, but it is a part of church culture. The, the showing of favoritism. Uh, years ago, when I first came on staff, I came on as the administrator to refinance the loan and do all the bills, fig- try to figure stuff out. And the truth of church life is, is that there are good seasons and bad seasons in attendance and In income into the summer season the income usually goes down there's other weird seasons like pandemics that can affect your finances inside of a church when I was first hired on years ago I remember us finding ourselves in an intense financial situation in church I started freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to pay these bills. And there was a week we didn't have enough money to cover payroll. And I'm like, again, freaking out on the inside. This is when my dad was the pastor. Cool as a cucumber, no freaking out, no faith falling apart. He was just there. He's just like, it's going to be okay, Josh, Stop, stop it. Like, you don't understand. Just, dude, just stop it. It's going to be okay. We had this gentleman who was wealthy. I don't think we have any wealthy people in the church these days. Maybe one or two. But we had this wealthy guy. And he quit worshiping the Lord on Sunday with his tithes and his offerings. And he began to walk his check in on Tuesday, and he would give it to the secretary. And on this day, he walked into the church, and I was there, I saw it. And he's had the check, his tithe, his offering. In reality, it was his, never mind. And he's like, My wife really likes this one worship song. And we would like for you to to put it back into the rotation as the check is being slid across the desk. And my dad put his finger on the check, slid it back, and said, yeah, the only problem is that we sung the anointing off that song years ago. He took his money, and he left. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul here. We need his money. And he's like, no, we don't need rich men's money. We need the widow's might. And I learned. I learned that day that we're not allowed to show favoritism with those that have money. Uh, Rich folk. If you want to know what the Bible says about rich folk, I would consider that you read the book of James humbly. Now, in addition to that, this is kind of going to dovetail into the favoritism thing is that when you find a church and when you begin to mature in your faith and to grow, it is vitally important that you know the difference and the distinction between cultural Christianity and a disciple of Christ. That you know and you're able to distinguish between Christian entertainment and people who worship in spirit and truth. There is a convoluted, diluted faith that is seeped into our Christian culture in America and is going throughout the world, and, and frankly, it's not healthy and it's not biblical. So, you know, I read the favoritism thing. You're like, "Well, oh, Pastor Josh, I don't really see that. I haven't seen it. Um, if you have been to a Christian concert and if you paid an admission fee to get into that concert, if they had a VIP pass that you had to pay for so that you could go backstage and meet the band, guess what? You participated in favoritism. It is my strong belief that worship, healing, signs, wonders, prophecy, but you don't pay for these things with admission. A transactional faith, people in transition, young people, graduates, don't buy into a transactional faith. You can't buy your way into heaven. One of the things that we saw during pandemic, a couple of things that were disturbing, we're going to bring it up and talk about it. One of the things that we saw is that you have, you had lots of options. You didn't have to listen to me drone on all day long. You could tune into another pastor. We had people that would turn, tune into one worship service. When the, when the music was over, they would, turn, they would tune into a sermon that they wanted to hear. That's consumer Christianity, everybody. Worshiping in spirit and in truth means that you are a part and a member of a local church family and you are worshiping together. I know it gets got weird with the whole technology thing. Likewise, we said, okay, Sarah, you heard the announcement. Sarah said, thank you so much for your generosity. To give, click the big red button on the corner. And like, the technology has been great. We've been able to pay our bills because of technology, because we haven't been able to pass the basket. It's been a huge deal. For everybody that it gave sacrificially, for everybody that like made the transition and that paradigm shift, Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Didn't have to lay anybody off this year. Robin, Peter, to pay Paul, but I haven't laid anybody off this year. You need to get this, everybody. When you give back to the Lord, it's not admission fee, it's not club dues, it's not guilt money. It's worship. It's worship. You thought that the music in the band was worship. The tithes and the offering is a true expression of worship. I just want to encourage you to get that that situated. Worship in spirit and in truth. What you do tomorrow morning when you punch the time clock and when you go to work or when you go to school or when you don't go to school, um, what you do with your hands and with your mind, the way that you express your life and the way that you walk, We all need to learn how to worship better. Another sign that you're inside of a healthy church. Ask yourself Is the band leading me into the presence of God? Do I have this desire to be in the band? Am I a part of the band? Is it for Jesus or are they entertaining me? Yeah? Do you see it? Do you see how vital it is? Pick a church knows how to worship in spirit and in truth. All right. Sub sub point. This is a this isn't a deal breaker. Oh wait, I have a deal breaker. You need to find a church that preaches the gospel. You need to you need to find a church that will preach a literal heaven and a literal hell. You need to find a church that almost every Sunday they try to weave in the cross. That Jesus came to live a life. He's modeling to us that we should live a life that he lived. Jesus also came and died a death that we all deserve to die for the forgiveness of our sins. You have to be in a church that preaches that in some form or some fashion, every single Sunday. You need to hear that Jesus died. It is by his stripes upon his back that we are healed. That he descended into hell to give the good news to the dead. And he rose on the third day, victory over sin and death. So that we could live life and live it to the fullest. You need to find a church like that. And you might be sitting here and I, you know, full confession. I've had these thoughts and these attitudes too. I already heard this one, Pastor Josh. I know Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and rose on the third day and ascended into heaven. I know this. Been there, done that. Check this box. We can't allow that apathy for the gospel to get into our hearts, to take control. We can't allow that to harden our hearts. If it has, if you don't burn for what Jesus did for you on the cross, I would recommend you spend some more time at the foot of the cross. And if it is still dull, maybe you need to share it with somebody else that needs to hear it. Don't ever allow the gospel message to become dull. Share it. Continue to receive it. And if you're like, well, is this not for me today? It could be for your neighbor sitting right next to you. Maybe it's not about you. Every church needs to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ in some form weaved into their sermon each and every day. If it's not in there, it's a self-help message. There's only one help. It's a divine help, and that's Jesus. Now, here's a deal breaker, a non-deal, that's a deal breaker. you got to have a church that believes in the death and resurrection, a literal heaven, a literal hell. When I came out from underneath my parents' roof, I experienced a couple of different denominations. Now, my personal opinion, being a charismatic pastor, is I want fire. I want the signs and wonders. That's why I do this crazy job. I've seen too much stuff. I like teaching. I like preaching. I like signs and wonders too. I like to see the Spirit of God come into somebody and deliver them from an oppressive spirit. I like to see the Spirit of God rest on a body and deliver them from an ailment i like to see the spirit of god come in and transform somebody's mind to where they're thinking and acting differently now the, the church of jesus christ should be displaying and de- demonstrating the power of god there must be power in a church and that power might look different in s- certain situations some of the most toxic dysfunctional churches that i've been a part of like they're really good at speaking in tongues They're also really good at gossiping. So, maybe you won't step into a church that prays for the sick every Sunday or that prophesies or that prays in a spiritual language. Maybe you won't step into a church like that. But if they're teaching the word of God, eat it up. I got a lot of learning in a Presbyterian church i got a lot of reverence in Episcopalian church. I've got a lot of information on how to share my faith in a Baptist church. I got to know Jesus deeper in a Catholic church. So, it might not look like ours. It might not practice like we do. If they're teaching the Word of God, if they're going deep, if there is a sense of peace, and if there's a sense of power. If the congregation is loving one another, you found a good place. If they're not showing favoritism, if they're not falling prey to the celebrity Christianity or a cultural expression of an ancient faith, you've probably found a good place. And we're always here for you. We're always here for you. No matter where you go, no matter where the winds take you no matter what the Holy Spirit does in your life. We're always here. All right, man, come on up. Pray Heavenly Father. Father of Lights. I pray right now that you just you come into our dark moments, our shadow seasons, and you shine your light, even though we might not be able to hear from you in ways that we once did or see you move in ways that we prefer who have never left us and never forsaken us. In fact, trials and tribulations are producing perseverance and testing our faith. I pray right now that we live as people that want to pass the test, that we step into a lifestyle that is gospel-centric, not driven by the world or the cultures that are around us. Jesus, you've shown us that you can come into a culture, you can come into any culture, and you can transform that culture from the inside out. God, forgive us for trying to take our culture to transform the bride of Christ. Heavenly Father, if we are in the end of days, I pray that you will Make us alert and prepared to receive your goodness and to receive your son. I pray for everyone that is in transition right now. I pray for the spirit of wisdom to rest on them so they can guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. They can take every thought captive, making them obedient to Christ. I ask for courage to step out and to make their faith their own. To take a chance and to be led by you and you alone. to Sacrifice everything that they have in an act of worship. Thank you. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to give back to the Lord since we're back to church as normal. Today we're passing the baskets. So if I could have the ushers come to the front. I want you, my friends, to see giving back to the Lord. This is not admission fee. It is an act of worship. And if you're doing what I'm doing, you're just giving automatically without a thought. Grab a piece of paper, a note, drop it in the basket. Say, Lord, here is my offering. Here is my act of worship return to the Lord, because he has been so good in this season. Thank you, God, for this offering. May it advance your message. May it advance the gospel. May it serve the poor. May it bless your pastors in your name.